Hey, I'm Jeff Krasno, and welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We are on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, and bring the world closer together. This is the Commune Podcast, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that help us live this healthy, connected, and purpose-filled life. Last week, Russell Brand and I explored how 12-step recovery can be applied to the addictions in our lives. But can the same model work for our society? Can we collectively recognize a problem, commit to change, undertake a thorough inventory, recognize patterns, and create a culture of service? Today, we take the 12 steps one step further, from personal to communal. And I should mention, if these conversations about how 12 steps can be systematically applied to a wide range of suffering from mildly miserable to total despair, I encourage you to look into our new video course with Russell on Recovery, a 12-day program that you can take for a limited time for free. Just go to onecommune.com slash recovery to sign up. That's onecommune.com slash recovery. Russell describes how the term recovery is widely understood to mean we recover the person we are intended to be. What does the wanting want? Who are we when we've freed ourselves from the chains of our attachments? This is the second episode of my two-part interview with Russell Brand. My name is Jeff Krasno, and welcome to Commune. Is your ego available to me? Yeah. It's available. The uh, ego, you want the ego? Well, I want to... It's sh- the best of me. Because I prepared to shower with you with... Just enough compliments. You don't need to do it for me, and certainly not in this environment. I mean, it's brilliant that introduction to the Marianne Williamson thing, but I have faith in your love. I know that, Um, and but I I think I want to get at a different side of your character that because there isn't another one. But you, you are not shallow. (laughs) I'm joking. I'm being silly. Because you obviously you're known as somewhat gregarious, garrulous extroverted gentleman who struts and frets his hour upon the stage, right? (laughs) But I've seen another side of you. Like the other night, you interviewed Marianne Williamson, who's running for President of the United States. You were very, very gracious. And you almost, at your own, not at your own expense, but you, you allowed her to have a particular kind of moment that I felt was extremely generous and and then i've seen you just now work through the part of the 12 step step four where people take this kind of rigorous inventory and i'm just struck by kind of how gentle and empathetic and very like present and grounded um that you are and i I wonder if, if you were always that way I possibly always had that facility, but prior to working the 12 steps, it's not something that I would have recognized as an attribute. M- much of the analysis that the 12 steps can provide is about understanding the strategies that we develop and evolve in order to survive and succeed. And 
perhaps the personality it could be argued is little more than a strategy a system of behaviors and traits deployed in order to meet certain circumstances or to achieve certain goals and for me that um as a performer that's the you know through performance the first time i felt validated the first time i saw potential for uh, escaping my conditions and circumstances so i think i perhaps over biased that but then and of course the lens through which most people experience me is as an entertainer so that's another bias it's interesting when you have a public profile to fame is nothing more than an extraction and when i read about myself which i do a lot less these days i feel like well what they're saying about me in a way it almost says more about them you know mm-hmm. if someone says mostly known for his tabloid exploits or whatever i feel well you must read tabloids <laughs> i've got no choice about whether or not <laughs> otherwise I'm in them. you'd never know <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't choose to be in them but they choose to read them so it's more <laughs> th- more telling um so uh but regardless so i think a degree of it is the the fact that the lens and mechanic through which we receive personalities celebrity entertainment is biased towards that kind of extroversion and but to be you know honest and plain I've changed and come to value the a more I don't know passive reflective aspect of my nature more mm. feel less afraid of it yeah is that gratifying you like being in that place yeah I didn't like like a lot of people that have had addiction issues there's an inability to recognize serenity and calm. People, addicts quite commonly are sort of motivated towards states of extreme depression and sadness and fear, excitement, agitation, elation. And not like I didn't really recognize serenity. I still sometimes, if I'm just in a situation where all that's required of me is that I sit in a room, feel a bit fearful like, like oh, I should be doing something something should happen now I should be feeling a more profound identifiable vacillating feeling right there's some quote all of men's problems can be traced to his inability to sit quietly in a room alone yeah you but you sit every day quietly do you, there's a Melville quote I've always liked, the, o- the one and only voice of God is silence. Mm. And I, I've heard you talk a lot about um, sort of our inability to, that, that human beings are limited by their five senses to kind of understand reality, understand the world. And that in many ways, our senses kind of lie to us. Um, and that, silence is sort of this one kind of godlike thing that we as human beings can somehow grasp at because silence is has no beginning it has no end it's infinite it has no time it has it's outside of time and space it has no form it has no location so in some ways it feels a bit like a portal to god is that how you treat it you have any your relationship with silence through meditation there is a relationship 
with silence, but the way that I continue to experience meditation is I primarily note disturbance out at like for me the experience of meditating I sit down I think okay right mantra and then I'm aware of becomes acutely aware of any external noise and that I'll have to let go of that and then in the internal noise of uh, in a monologue narrative thinking the way I was taught to meditate by Bob Roth from the David Lynch Foundation he continues to reiterate because I suppose I continue to resist it thought is part of meditation there will be thought you have to let go of the striving you innocently undertake meditation you return to the mantra it doesn't have to be pronounced or aggressive sometimes it's very faint and barely there at all you don't you let go of the idea that there's something that's going to be achieved because you see because I'm again this is why the 12 steps important to me I receive most things through the lens of addiction I'm even when meditating the I'm trying to attain escape and numbness Mm. like and transcendence can feel like we know escape and numbness there's the absence of self when there are the moments when meditation is inverted comma successful although that flies in the face of everything i've been taught and told it's oh wow i'm not here anymore mm-hmm. that's cool which we only know afterwards of course but you know w- w- how i've been taught is well even when you're there and you just think you're sat with your eyes shut and you're just thinking about the past or the future or you're projecting if you are you know consciously returning to the mantra in an unhurried unflustered way whenever you notice you're not thinking the mantra your body is healing the you are getting the rest you know they kind of the way i've been taught meditation it's in a sense quite perfunctory in some ways you know like a lot of the people that practice it let's say jerry seinfeld or like Howard stern i feel like there's a lot of and this is obviously how they've been taught, you know, f- from the Maharishi ultimately, or, you know, at least in terms of its Western um, practice. That's what they've been taught. They've been taught that it's a kind of tool. And I suppose all spirituality could be regarded as utilitarian, but I'm f- I crave, I like the mystery. I'm interested in shamanism i like voluptuousness i think you know like while i you know as you've said about the senses and the the acknowledgement of their limitations and that they're pathways and that they can be illusory and that they can be misleading and by virtue of the fact that they're necessarily limited the information that you're getting is collated curated bounded and that there is the unbounded there is the limitless there is limitlessness i still am even in meditative practice, I want some kind of, I don't know, some <laughs> escape, some <laughs> sensual thing, yeah. sort of. It's, it's, it's interesting. But, you know, there are times when I feel like I've meditated and it goes how I would have it go, which is absence of thought, absence of self. And it's I feel like, well, God, why would I ever do anything else? This is bliss. This is what I was looking for as a drug addict or through promiscuity or 
you know, I want to be free of the self. And I think that that's telling that the drive behind addiction is a kind of self annihilation. Mm -hmm. It is all, it has always been a spiritual problem. Even in less extreme situations or less extreme demonstrations, people drink because they want to feel good. They eat foods that are bad for them because they want to feel good. They watch porn or movies because they want to feel good. That's, for me, that's a spiritual issue. You're trying to make yourself feel better and we will settle for pleasure. And in this uh, silent practice, you know, either you have freedom from that, you have freedom from that impulse. that we're kind of as a society we're stuck in this kind of enlightenment era concepts of reason and rationality and individualism that has sort of taken over it has subdued the more spiritual or even christian notion in this country of of all men being created equal it's a very kind of christian notion of you know god sees everyone's soul as equal and there's been this kind of dialectic i would say just in the modern world in general between that notion of equality compassion and then this kind of drive for individualism and i suppose on some level commercialism like where did we lose our way when you think of when i think of science and the scientific method it's defining edict could be that it's about veracity, truth for experimentation. This is not opinion. This is truth. We've experimented double blind. These are facts. We can measure it. We can observe it. Stop trying to counter that with your bizarre, psychedelic, shamanic love of the light and the Lord and your woo-woo emotionalist feminine <laughs> crap. <laughs> but... This is an ideal of science, that science is about neutral experimentation. There is no science that's conducted that does not pass through the consciousness of the observer. Mm -hmm. And even more so in practice, there is no science that is undertaken that is free from f the imperatives of the people that are funding that experimentation. Yeah. There, you need to glance only at the pharma pharmaceutical industry to see the way that in practice science functions so, so that for me you know like no one's querying the value of material experimentation observation uh, accessing information trying to understand the, the the material physical world this is like of course brilliant and necessary the problem for me is that Science, in the same way that religion has previously done, uses its highest ideals to dominate territories that are none of its business when it doesn't live up to those ideals in practice. Mm -hmm. Because the fact is, is that the pharmaceutical industry or the food industry or the tech industry or the energy industry present truths that are convenient to the interests of the powerful and obscure truths that are not. Mm -hmm. 
and in even if one could conceive of a pure version of neutrally observed science it still is passing through the consciousness of individuals it still exists in this sensual and sensory realm you know only the things that there are words for are being said only the things that are measurable are being measured the idea that the idea for me that the amount of intelligence that human beings have and the sensory instruments that we have and their ability to read information are equal to the total potential for information is ridiculous that's the sort of mistake we know when we look back and laugh and go oh they thought the world was flat oh they thought the, the sun went around the earth that's these were that was based on study at that point so now yeah. everything that we assume is based on study at this point this is there is never the apex of revelation there will continue to be revelation there will continue to be new information there will the rules of physics localized patterns they will ultimately say, oh, no, there's an, uh, there are adjacent realms, adjacent dimensions. There, there's different ways of regarding rea the real. Yeah, and I mean, we can even see that actually Deepak talks about this, uh, essentially, our spatial limitations. Mm. Like, uh, he often refers to the painted lady butterfly that has 30,000 lenses. What does the world look like to a, through 30,000 lenses? Or that they taste with their feet. What is that? look like yeah how can we ever understand that, that experience the and awareness the beingness of these that. other realms of reality don't exist seems like crazy i mean even just a horse can only see in blue and green you know i mean what is that what does the world look like to a horse you know our what reality are the lyrics to their rainbow song <laughs> i feel blue, bad for them green, green. blue and green, green. <laughs> that's it that's it um I feel bad for them. But um, so the notion that this, that the only thing that is real is what we can see, touch, feel here. I mean, William, what's the poet? I think it was a Brit. He said, we're led to believe a lie when we see with and not through the eye that was born in a night just to perish in a night while the soul slept bathed in beams of light. It's just that this, we are so connected to what we can see and touch and connect and and think that that we can solve our discontents by by feeding those senses yes. that we've we've lost ourselves i wonder if and i you know when i i was listening to you interview marianne and there was uh you know there was a lot interesting topics that came up you know um, like reparations, for example, she talks about, you know, how do we make reparations for slavery? And, you know, I started thinking of like, hmm, is there, can the 12-step program be applied collectively? Could, you, could we sit here as Americans or as Brits or whatever and be like, take a thorough inventory <laughs> of, of all of our resentments, make amends for everything that we've fucked up. I mean, have, have you ever seen the 12-step be applied outside of, like, individually? Does that work? It's applied collectively in 12-step support groups. Mm. The, the idea being that collectively there is a power, the power of our shared intention to overcome self-centeredness the root of the condition of addiction and for me the point where 
obvious forms of addiction intersect with all attachment we not everyone has been addicted to crack but everybody is using external and material phenomena to ameliorate inner malady we're doing things to make ourselves feel better and so there are groups curiously there are the accompaniment to the 12 steps the 12 traditions uh, in most 12-step groups are used to uh, uh, which I would not be able to say whether or not I belong to due to those traditions they would say that each group is fully autonomous the groups are leaderless groups cannot they're, they're, uh, they're fully self-supporting mm-hmm. now what's what's one of the things I deeply admire about the structure of 12-step communities is the way that leadership is regarded as a position of service that le- that there is absolute and real democracy known as the group conscience that no individual can say we're going to do this that everything is determined democratically and importantly there are the size of groups is somewhat managed you know like i mean there are some groups one understands that are up to 500 or a thousand people and somewhere it's two or three. But all of those groups are independent. All those groups are autonomous. All those groups are free to govern themselves according to their own group conscience. And I feel that perhaps, you know, when I'm having conversations about politics and political change, I feel like, why are we having this conversation with the handbrake on with regard to, of course, we're not going to consider anything like decentralizing <laughs> the sovereignty of right. the United States of America or the UK. That's a given. That's staying. We're having a stratified society based on <laughs> where ultimately government is in the service of corporations. You know, I feel that why be bold. What is it like? You know, if ultimately what we are trying to achieve is a for communities and individuals a connected and actualized life where we are as free as possible where we are as free from suffering as possible let's consider anything that might be an obstacle to that as something that could change Hmm. where again that gandhi quote mate there's no point us kicking the british out of india if we just replicate the systems that they held over us which is obviously what happened when the indians did kick the British out, which I think was a mistake in retrospect. <laughs> we made the trains run on time, right. and also, like you know, like the, he said, like with uh, anarchic foresight, India is a country of seventy thousand villages. They should all be fully autonomous, trading with one another, providing for themselves where possible. Like he was arguing for decentralization. Now, whether you're like approaching politics from a socialist or you know, capitalist perspective, no one is querying the earth is primarily a resource. Mm. Every, our job here is to maximise the efficacy of the planet. We're just talking about how to distribute the spoils of plundering the planet. Gandhi, in the same speech, said, at some point, and this is obviously in the 40s, at some point we're going to have to let go of our infatuation with trinkets and objects and gadgets. Hmm. We're pressing it. Well, isn't unbelievable? Because they didn't have iPhones, obviously. <laughs> Did you know back then the iPhones were made of wood and they ran on steam? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, that that's about just the time, you know, we, I think the last 
period in this country where there was actually a moment that we connected to this notion of common good or common destiny was sort of at the end of World War II where, you know, we came back and, you know, there was this sort of chicken in every pot mentality and, and we took 7 million GIs and we said, okay, you know, we're going to educate them and, you know, through all of these New Deal measures was like, yeah, well, there should be a safety net to dull the sharper edges of capitalism because, you know, people are left behind. And and there was, all, you know, the rise of unions and, and a graduated income tax and all of these as progressive policies that kind of harkened back to the notion of the common good, we the people. Um, but since then, then, you know, essentially all these GIs came back and then we grew this middle class that essentially built picket fences literally around their house. They locked their doors, and there's been this kind of like efflorescence of individual materialism ever since with maybe one little wave that happened in the 60s and 70s with some experimental living around shared resources. But like what is going to unfuck us, you know, in that sense? To your point about whether or not the 12 steps could be applied on a social, indeed national, international level for a moment accepting terms like nation and (laughs) internation we could say is is this a problem step one is this a problem now a lot of people this is not a problem this is not a problem if you are uh, well you know like we would argue from a sort of a ultimately from a spiritual position that we're just quarreling about what type of prison you want to be in a lovely ornate prison or like a, a Maharishi said you know the man in the mansion and the man in the cage compared to the man in the cage the man in the mansion is relatively free right. but of course, when we talk about uh, when we talk about uh, change we when we uh, the application of the 12 steps to a social situation would be is this a problem is it a problem that we're living a life that where we just accept that your role is to be utilized as a kind of a unit of energy yeah. that contributes to that system is it is it possible then the second step is is it possible that they can <laughs> say yeah that is a problem that we're just regarded as an object no wonder there's the intersex objectification because everything is objectified everything is commodified if you can't contribute if you can't produce you will end up homeless on the street you, if you can't perform, if you like seem to be mentally ill, if you can't appear, uh, live in accordance with certain values and ideals established not in a vacuum, but in order to create a society that maintains certain structures and maintains certain privileges. So, if you one think that's a problem, which you know there's no problem for me doing that. Two, can you believe it's possible that a power greater than yourself can restore you to sanity? Is it possible that there's a, a different America waiting to be born that may not even bear that name, let alone that flag? The, I invite people to ask, what is your investment? What is your investment? What is it giving you? You know, Or is it just a reappropriation of your n- natural and necessary tribal instinct reappropriated and attached to a, essentially an economic and ideological entity that doesn't care about you? Right. What is the point? The third step, are you willing to ask for help? Now, you know, the, there's a pragmatic understanding of step three. Uh, you know, when replied to addiction, people that have gone through chemical dependency and are now not chemically dependent can offer help and solution to people that are still struggling with it but there is a mystical aspect you know as literally written 
made a decision to turn our will and our life over to the care of God as we understand God. Now, this is where I believe it refers back to the stuff we were talking about earlier. What's happening to us in that silence? Is there something beyond your experience as an individual Mm -hmm. that could be instantiated in our social systems? Is there oneness? Why do these ideas of fraternity, as it would be explained in socialism, brotherhood, as it would be described in Christianity, oneness, as it would be described in Hinduism and Buddhism, why do these ideas recur? Why do they seem so relevant? What is love other than the acknowledgement of our ultimate unity and the illusion of separation, Mm. an energetic experience of this oneness? Mm. If these things are real, but don't seem as real as a dollar bill, how can we prioritize them? How can we accelerate their value? How can we present to people these ideas as the fulcrum and spine of a new system? Mm. How can we do it? Perhaps by helping them to understand that the, that the situation they're living in is problematic, that it is possible for it to change and that together we can achieve that change. Why limit the conversation to, I'd like that person in that hat to be in charge of this, of this particular system? Yeah, and do you think that that will require a, essentially a transcendent messenger? Or I think it will require a transcendent message because as a narcissistic show-off, there's been times in my life where, um, like for example, when I was involved in politics in the UK... Right. There was this thing I said once on the TV where, like, I was on a, a, a show that's a bit like 60 Minutes in your country, where it's, it's called News Night. Dum, dum, dum. Mm. This is serious. We're very, talking about very, the news. Yep. <laughs> that kind of very thing. Serious. Some bombast and some graphics. Yep. And I said, like, in, and the person, you know, because the right to vote has caused such obvious suffering and suffrage, saying that there's no point in voting when the two parties are not significantly different like uh, i heard it said recently on every single thing that that, that the two dominant parties agree you essentially have no choice (laughs) (laughs) like if you find so you find everything that the democrats and the republicans agree on on those subjects you have no choice none of them are saying let's completely reconfigure the way this country works now like i mean i suppose at the moment because we are seeing a rise of sort of ethno-nationalism and certain type of right-wing politics that there is a sort of a populist leftist uh dialectic comparable to it so Mm -hmm. like it's there is more polarity than there was even five years ago when it you know we were not talking about candidates like bernie sanders or uh, jeremy corbyn so it's seven or eight years ago i don't know when it was that i did this i'm not very good with remembering stuff all i know is the dude that was running the labor party weren't that different from the dude that was running the conservative (laughs) party and the person that was running the democratic party that they basically all kind of looked the same and sort of were the same and then the interest behind them weren't really going to water anyway i said that stuff i said there's no point voting no i've never voted in my life no one i know or where i'm from votes because we all know it's bullshit and it caused like this terrible ramifications oh it's irresponsible people died for that vote well as i'm not saying that voting should mean nothing i'm saying it does mean nothing it should mean something it should be an opportunity for people to participate in democratic process anyway so you know like it caused a real stir but the mistake i made was because a lot of people were very, very supportive of him. So look, look at what he's actually saying. He's not saying that democracy is bad. He's not saying don't vote. He's saying that there is no point in voting because of the lack of realistic alternative. Right. Now, because a lot of people agreed with that, uh, I um, 
felt real buzzed up and like I was kind of important for saying it. And I didn't realise until a little bit later, slightly too late as it turns out, that no, all that happens is occasionally you say something that is resonant and true and you'll hear it reflected back at you. Mm. If that happens, the important thing is to recognise that the thing that's important is the truth, not the person that is saying it. Because if you happen to be the person that's saying it, you may spiral off into that narcissism again. (laughs) That'll never happen. I know, you wouldn't think so. Do you think that change, though, is not going to come from inside politics? How can it? How can it, really? Yeah. Is it, that's my sort of general feeling. Is that? Yeah. Well, and why should it? Why bother? Yeah. Why bother going, well, let's restrict ourselves to these methods. Why are we all pretending that you need sort of centralised parliamentary democracies so that someone on horseback can travel back to go, right, we've passed <laughs> this in Congress. <laughs> it's like you have to acknowledge that everyone could be voting on a device that's in their pocket, mm. <laughs> like on every single issue. Bring uh, In terms of politics, which are really just the organisation of resources and power, the people affected by the consequences of that power should have as much control of it as possible. So control the budgets of their communities, control their schools, their hospitals, their roads. Centrists on the left and right will immediately say, well, what do you do about municipality and law enforcement and international war and terror? Look how quickly they jack up the fear. (laughs) (laughs) Don't stop it. You're starting to wake up. You're starting to wake up. Have the fear back. The fear, the fear. Watch this. Here's some desire. Look at the size of those. (laughs) Wouldn't you like one of them? (laughs) You know, like the... Get back into the fear and desire. It's not like the, you know, the people that pretend to be the grown-ups are the least rational people encouraging us to be less and less rational, trying to keep us in unconscious states, the unconscious states of fear and desire. You know from your own life that when you're afraid or full of desire, you're not thinking right. People can scare me enough that I'll do something stupid. People can fill me with desire enough that I'll do something stupid. I know how susceptible I am to that as an individual. Um, these uh, we see these frequencies continually broadcast to maintain and sustain those states in people so that they can't go well why shouldn't i like you know whether it's from a libertarian or anarchist perspective i don't fucking give 50 percent of my money to them i don't agree with them like and some people will moralize about tax no we should be giving a helping one of Mm. course we should be helping one another i say as close as possible replicate the conditions to which human beings were designed to live in i don't mean a cave without access to phones or medicine i mean tribal groups of about 75 to 150 people where they're fully autonomous there is so much part of the problem i think in the world now is that you know the genie's out of the bowl some people want to live fundamentalist islamic lives some people want to live sexual libertarian lives some people want to live christian lives atheist lives well why should we house all these ideas let people live how they want to live stop centralizing and umbrellaing and doming these groups of people because it makes economic sense to a one particular elite or group. But where possible, mm. full automi- uh, or, or automation. And where not possible, at least the acknowledgement. The acknowledgement of what is really going on. It's not like when people say, no, there's no alternative, there's no other way of doing this. It's because this works well for the people saying that. That's right. May I be so bold to say that that you would play a very that you could play a very powerful role as that messenger to help change the frequency at which people live is that something that i mean i know you're not striving for that you're just being you but is that part of your mission in I life i don't know now? what these drives are jeff 
they're driving me mad like the craving <laughs> the driving the, you know like it's always been there and first mm-hmm. of all it was i want loads of attention and then i want loads of sex i want loads of drugs and then back to the sex again then the fame then the money then like now because i have a program because i live a spiritual life the drive itself the craving itself is neither good nor bad in fact we could argue from a spiritual perspective that what it ultimately wants is love and oneness what's it trying to get to someone told me all desire the inappropriate substitute for the desire to be at one with god so the question Mm. i continually ask myself as an individual is what is your intention in this moment where are you trying to get to and so often for me mate what i have to be careful about is i want privilege i want power so like you know there's no point complaining about donald trump because just because you want to be him or you want to replace him or complaining (laughs) about some sort of sexy famous movie star because you want to replace them or be them so in a sense by um, for me i have to focus on being free of my own defects of character my own flaws which i can only do intermittently so it's important that i'm part of a collective so that the other empowered people in the collective that I participate in can say, I think, Russell, you did brilliant there. That was a lovely speech. Well done. But it seems now, look, you've drifted back into the narcissism. <laughs> look at you. You're grandstanding. You know, like, so I don't think it's necessary to have stratified societies or the, 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 so those kind of hierarchies particularly not those that deify, rarefy and worship an individual. Even though I love all that stuff, I love an icon, I love an idol, I love Muhammad Ali, Gandhi, Che Guevara, and I know there's bad things you could say about every single one of those men. What I like about them is the things that they did that were amazing and incredible, overcoming the odds, overcoming great power, overcoming tyranny, the circumstances of their lives. Of course, they were flawed and there's some pretty extreme stuff went down with all of those guys, I would say, to varying degrees um but for me we we replicate we continually replicate certain ideas that kind of have a hold on us you know we and anybody Mm. in a position of power i think is vulnerable to the to the predilections of the powerful so like the one of the things i like about the traditions around 12-step support groups is that you acknowledge that all people are flawed and you don't ever put anyone in a position where they can damage the whole the the collective the value of the collective is everything Hmm. so you know that's i I think that is vital yeah i've heard you say the opposite of addiction is connection it's a beautiful thought yes i suppose in addiction we are striving to make up for this absence it could be regarded as a spiritual connection of something more more pragmatic and Mm -hmm. certainly it can be practically addressed connection to other people in a group service to other people helps me to be free of the self-centeredness that otherwise governs me Hmm. you're a beautiful man russell thank you you're so lovely to say that to me thank you cheers cheers does the wanting want? As Russell was so eloquently taught, all desires are the inappropriate substitute for the desire to be at one with God. That is a powerful truth, and it's a truth that needs to be lived every day. 
The 12 Steps is a system for living in a new story, but we need each other in the form of mentorship and community to help hold that story for each other. The need for community support is one of the reasons we are releasing Russell's new commune course on recovery for free this January. If you go to onecommune.com slash recovery, you can sign up to go through the 12 steps together with tens, I might say hundreds of thousands of other people from around the world. Together, we can move from unconscious unawareness to conscious awareness and thus begin to relieve our personal and collective suffering. OneCommune.com slash recovery. It's free. That's it for today on The Commune. Leave us a review or send me an email at jeffk at onecommune.com. Thanks a lot for listening. My name's Jeff Krasno, and I'll see you next week.